my goodness. Hey, this was a first for you and I. Yeah, we were de-virginized of our four-way. Yeah, a foursome. A foursome. All guys, unfortunately, but you know, what are you going to do? These two guys are special. Kyle and Jay are really doing the thing, man. They set out years ago to accomplish a goal together, and they've achieved it. And from what the from the conversation, it sounds like an excellent thing. And um, wait, wait till you guys hear about it. Um, the DRS is another three letter intelligence agency that is probably one of the most significant three-letter intelligence agencies you'll ever hear about. But to know exactly what the DRS is, you're going to have to listen to the episode. So before we get into it, be sure to subscribe, like, go to our website and click the merch tab and buy some swag. And drink uh, Adrenochrome Cola. Yeah, and don't forget our sponsors, Adrenochrome Cola um, and the the, uh, Compton Cowboys, who are beneficiaries of our largesse. Which right yeah, now and the two guess. aren't locked together. Okay, let's keep those siloed. We have Compton Cowboys, right, and, and Adrenochrome Solo. They're not related. the The Compton Cowboys do not address, do not endorse Adrenochrome Adrenochrome Cola. Cola. We, on the other hand, do endorse, right, Adrenochrome. Yes, yeah, for that special feeling. So, on that rock star note, let's dive into it. Two outlaws on the lamb, taking the back roads through America. You can't drink enough coffee for this show. And now it's time for Monday Madness with the Moped Outlaws, Greg and Mark. with another episode of Moped Outlaws and Alana for the ride for the first time in Mark in my life. We have two guests on, the co-authors of the Dead Rock Stars, Jay Watson and Kyle Wiltshire. Am I pronouncing that correctly? You got it. You nailed it, man. A plus. Damn, and we're off to a good start. I got to say, we've been on uh, several podcasts now at this point. We're, we're pretty new to it, but we've been on several po- podcasts. Since the beginning, this has been by far my favorite name for a podcast. I, I need to know things real quick before we get going, just a little bit. Give me, give me, the, right. give me the reason for that, because I love it. Okay. You Tell the story, there. Greg. All right, cool. So um, when Mark and I first started, we were going to call ourselves Cracker Jacks. And um, part of our work together has been exploring the realm of white supremacy that we grew up in and being advocates for everyone to just be at ease and live a happy life. Wait, wait, wait. That sounds a little weird. What you mean is anti-racist work, not white supremacy. No, that's how. Okay, so correction noted. (laughs) We got you. We got you. Okay, so. Um, someone who Mark and I respect very much and as a person of color said, that is a triggering title. Mm. And I feel like everyone has an opinion and there was one opinion. So I went out and sought another opinion from someone I really respect. Who's like a mom to me. And she's a woman of color. She said, Greg, I know you. And, um, this is a long winded story. Sorry about that, but take your time. (laughs) She said, you know, It really, if you are attempting to invite people in, there's a lot of people who that's going to be a closed door to. Mm. And so Mark and I are like, okay, we got to change the name. And we had a live stream broadcast and some friends jumped on. And I told this story of in my 20s, I was selling mushrooms. And back in the 90s, when you bought, you rented VHSs from the store. Yeah. And those black plastic cases mm-hmm. had two of them with about three ounces grammed out in both cases. And I was on this fucked up moped with no headlight riding through the streets of Mill Valley. And the police threw on their siren and I tried to outrun them. 
<laughs> and uh, some, uh, I don't know. I, I know the term liquid courage. I don't know what you would call that, though. Stupidity. You yeah. can just call it what it is. <laughs> and um, so I got arrested. But the interesting thing is they never opened up those two cases. So I was put into jail. My friends came and bailed me out and they gave me back the cases. And I was telling this story. And one of our friends on the live stream said, hey, Moped Outlaws. That's and a winner. Yeah, that's a good name. I like it. So there you saw on our logo, you could see there's a couple mushrooms bouncing behind the moped. So uh, I don't think the moral of that story is kids don't do mushrooms. I think the moral of the story is don't don't try to outrun a cop car with a moped. Right. Or have your headlight. Yeah. So in Mill Valley, there's these trails that go from like two parallel streets. There'll be this little path, dirt path. And I knew if I could make it to one of those, I would have. It was, yeah. (laughs) The dreams of our youth. (laughs) So to bring it back to you guys, um, I'm guessing from what little I know of the story of the Dead Rock Stars, you're both in tech. Is that true? Uh, that's funny. Actually, no. Actually, we're not. But <laughs> but that's not our you know our career or whatever. We had in fact we had to set the book in 1999 for many reasons, but because that is a that is a a, a period of technology where we felt pretty comfortable. Like we could not make major uh, faux pas in, in in technological advances, and it's just easier to navigate the world in a world where everyone doesn't have a cell phone with a camera on it, you know, for what we were trying to do with our story. So, uh, yeah. yeah. So no, we're not tech guys. No. Oh, wow. All right. So what's your like bread and butter as you're pursuing this new chapter as it were? Yeah. I'm actually an editor by, by trade. That's what I do. For a uh, magazine or books. Yeah. Books, yeah, books mainly, yeah. All right, all right. And Jay, you? Uh, I'm figuring out what I want to do when I grow up right now. I uh, <laughs> I had a career for, for 24, 25 years, and uh, I'm uh, kind of taking that next step. I'm about to start a few different things. And so I'm, I'm uh, yeah, I'm starting. It's a, it's a reboot. So that's where I'm at. Do you mind my asking what you're rebooting from? Yeah, I was, uh, it was in ministry. I was a pastor for 28 years and, uh, was full-time for 24, 25 and, and, um, uh, had a great run, got to do all the things I wanted to do. And it is very much time for something different. Wow. All right. Are we all on a ministry though, Jay? Oh, absolutely. (laughs) I I feel like I'm going to have more of a chance to make a difference in one-on-one conversations than I did in standing on a stage and talking to hundreds of people. Like I I'm I'm really excited about just kind of living life together. That's very cool. So how do you two know each other? We went to college together. Uh, we've been, we've been pretty much best friends since 1996. Um, we'll maybe get into a lot of this, but, uh, I'm, I'm the introvert of the two Jay's the extrovert. And he, uh, he just sought me out and, and literally dragged me out of my dorm room was like, we're going to be buddies. Let's go have fun together. And so, yeah, that's, uh, that's kind of how I we had started. A little, I'm really grateful. I had a little insider trading. I had a friend that knew Kyle uh, from his hometown. And when he got to college, he, he told me, he said, Kyle is a great guy. You're going to love him. You guys have a lot in common, but he's pretty shy. He's a little introverted. So you're going to have to go, go grab him. So I did one day, I knocked on his door. I'm like, Hey man, uh, come out, come outside into the world away from the television. Let's hang out. And, uh, we did. All right. So to have a really lasting friendship like you two have, and to delve into a business endeavor, a creative one for sure. Yeah. yeah. There's often a good story of a bonding experience, you know, where it's like, okay, I'm in it. We're in it together. Do you guys something come to mind with that? Gosh, you know, Jay, we've not told this on a podcast, so I'll, I'll tell this story. Um, we actually were in the same fraternity together and he's a year older than me. And so he had already been initiated and everything. And so I was a pledge in the fraternity and it wasn't like animal house garbage 
It wasn't that type of thing. <laughs> uh, but it was it was still, you know, the pledges had to do what the initiated members of the fraternity wanted them to do. And uh, we were called goats. OK. Uh, and so Jay uh, invited me over to his dorm room uh, with several other uh, goats uh, pledges and uh, they put on something they called Goat Train, you know, kind of like Soul Train, where they would they would play music, and then we would have to dance, and then they would judge who was the best who was the best dancer uh, in in the Goat Train that night. And uh, and so my dancing was just awful enough, just bad enough uh, for for Jay to feel like you know I just I love this guy. He is uh, a lot of my moves involved like uh, mimicking Hulk Hogan. You know, I did like a lot of these things. You know. Uh, because I just didn't have the, you know, the real, the real dance moves, you know? Uh, so I just, I did what I knew. I knew, I knew, I knew Hulk Hogan. So I would just oh, do one of these and he just thought it was great. And I think that kind of like cemented uh, his desire to, uh, to, to hang with me. <laughs> That's really funny. Uh, you know, Jay, what wrestler did you identify with? <laughs> oh man. Uh, I think anybody our age loved Hulk Hogan, but I, I loved uh, the ultimate warrior and I loved, uh, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Those are the two guys that I just love the most. I loved them when they showed up, when they came out, and just you know the the mystery behind the Ultimate Warrior was was too much for me. And then Ricky the Dragon Steamboat just he he seemed like he could kind of do anything, and he was uh, you know unflappable. And I love both of those guys. But the re- the reason why Kyle like you know. Uh, I'm an encourager in life. I, I encourage people. And uh, back then, Kyle was uh, a little awkward, and he was a little unsure of himself. And a big part of uh, being in a fraternity was having parties and invite people to girls. And so uh, we'd often get the freshmen in there and make them all dance and, and get them out of their shell a little bit. And Kyle was by far the worst. And so, of course, because I was the judge, uh, he won Goat Train. Like he was the he was the winner, and so that Goat small bit of confidence, 96. yeah, that, that small bit of confidence allowed him not to, uh, you know, fake like he needed to go home every time there was a party. Now he still did that, but like uh, he went to a few too. That's awesome. And how many times did you guys drunk bro wrestle never. each other? Never, never once. But there was a there was a time when uh, you know that's the airing of the grievances, so to speak, in our in our fraternity meetings, uh, where if two guys got crossed with one another, they could wrestle it out right there in the room. And uh, and one time Jay called me out. I don't remember why, but we wrestled. He threw me around. He tossed me around that that uh, that fraternity room. It was it was uh, it was fun looking back. I have no memory or no recollection of this. So I can neither <laughs> confirm nor deny. You did. I think it was my first night upstairs. You tossed me around like a rag doll. That sounds sounds like me. So, do did other bros in the fraternity also engage in this um, activity? Which one, the Soul Train or the wrestling? Both. Oh yeah, I mean, for the Soul Train, it was like five or six. You know, active. I can't believe we're talking about this. This is a trip, man. Uh, I know five or six active. um, You know, members, and then there'd be. 10 or 20 pledges in the room. And uh, the, uh, most of the times it was the pledges that I, I hadn't didn't know at all or hadn't really spent much time with. And so I wanted to like, kind of see what they're made of a little bit. And uh, it was a good opportunity for that. So, I mean, the room was full of people. It was rowdy and crazy. You know, it, what, it was a little bit past the boombox era. So, I mean, we had the big stereo in the room. We'd crank up some music and just see what happened. Uh, but we went to a, a fairly conservative uh, college. And so because of that, it was not, uh, insane. It was just uh, a, a perfect amount of rowdy. And then at, at, at our meetings, uh, yeah, there was, I mean, I'd say at least once a month, there was some ridiculous wrestling match. And, and wrestling. Uh, yeah, a lot of weird stuff too, man. A lot of weird stuff. Just, legit hurt, like like would dislocate knees and stuff, like awful, <laughs> like real injuries. Wow. I guess you really yeah. have up there. It was just nuts. For a, for a conservative school, it sounds a little rough and tumble. It was it was a very diverse crowd when it came to ideology. It wasn't a diverse crowd otherwise, but it, it was a diverse crowd when it came to just where they came from. There was athletes and there was uh, the consummate partier type. And then there were people that were, you know, going to be in ministry. They were all in the same group. And so uh, it was a really kind of special thing that way where I learned what it was like to, you know, um, be friends with people that don't have the same perspective as me at all, you know, and be able to work together. Um, so, uh, and generally yeah. love each other, like yeah. for real, love each other. Um, I see Prince is on your playlist, the dead rock stars pr- playlist. 
is are you guys Prince fans? Or it's just 1999 on there because it takes place in 1999. Yeah. yeah. I'd say I'm a, a Prince appreciator. I mean, the guy was unbelievably talented. He could do anything in, in the octaves and the voice and all the different ways he reinvented himself. I'm very much a, a fan of him, uh, appreciator, but I'm not like a deep cut guy. What about um, his spiritual life? Did you ever listen to interviews and elements of? Uh, he was a, wasn't he a Jehovah's Witness when he grew up, or was that? A, he was grew that up Jehovah's Witness, yeah. but he himself said he wasn't religious per se. But you people who speak about him, and then he himself, God was very important to him, and it was a exploration that was a major part, I think, of who he was. One of my favorite things about musicians when you talk to them and, and I think they have this almost like somebody has gone through AA, they have this real appreciation of the spiritual life because they know that their gift did not come per se from them. Like they can't explain it. And, you know, you listen to Prince and it's like, where did this, this, this is different. This is other. And so because of that, I, I think it does help you, uh, you know, kind of tune in to be like, there must be something Something else other than me. I'm wondering if there were any like male female relationships that were formed as a result of these uh, fraternity parties. Did you guys get dates as a result of this activity? Uh, absolutely. I mean, th- you know, there was probably a monthly party that uh, you know that that we were expected to be at. You know, so you had to. It, typically had to bring a girl, you know, that, that's what Jay was referring to me. When I first got there, I was so shy. I would, I'd, I'd go home the weekend, the parties be like, Oh yeah, I got to go home for some reason, you know, but the, the longer laundry, I was there, the you more, gotta do laundry. <laughs> that's what it was. The more courage I developed, the more, uh, you know, sure of myself, uh, all that self-assurance that I gained in those four years that I've lost now as an adult, you know, yeah, like yeah. all those things that built up in those four years, you know, I, I learned, I learned how to, ask a girl out and, you know, and take her on the dance floor and we could have a good time. Yeah, for sure. So what percentage of the soundtrack was hard rock things like Cobain and Hendrix and these various things? Well, when it comes I, uh, to, go ahead, go ahead, Cal. No, 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 you go. Well, as I say, when it comes to the, the soundtrack of, of our fraternity or our book of the I'm parties, sure yeah. what were people uh, listening to at these parties? Yeah, it was, it was nineteen ninety five for J 96 for me through 2000. Uh, so it was a lot of the, you know, the, the, the popular hip hop of that time, you know, so a lot of, but um, it was, it was also like, it would go all over the place. I, I remember blister and the sun being played every, every party. There'd be that there'd be, yeah. you know, cr- you know, crazy stuff. It depends on whoever was the DJ, but it would, it would go yeah. from, you know, Dave Matthews to violent films, to beastie boys, to, Hard hip city to, DJs, come on, ride that train. Yeah, train. yeah. Tootsie Roll, baby. Uh, <laughs> that stuff. What about? So did you guys get into like uh, Egyptian Lover and We Like the Cars, the cars that go boom? Those early hip hop. No, it was uh, a little bit later. No. It was more uh, post Will Smith Summertime. It was a little bit more okay. like Coolio, like uh, uh, Gangsters Paradise, and okay. uh, that other song. Uh, Fantastic Voyage, those kind of things were were kind of where that that phase was. Okay. Did you guys ever consider putting Tupac or Biggie in the book? Mm. You need to read it. <laughs> no, they're, they're definitely it. they're definitely they're in the in book. It. Yeah, they're, they're in, the book. in the book. We go yeah. from we go from the fifties to you know right around ninety nine as far as people that that are the the dead rock stars that are help saving the day. So we, we define rock stars as as more of a spiritual thing, less of a uh, like genre thing. We've gotten okay. a little flack on in our social media for that. You know, calling calling Tupac and Biggie rock stars. They're like they're hip hop stars. They're not rock stars. Like yeah, but they have the spirit of a rock star. You know, their attitude and their you know their philosophy and so forth. Yeah, I, I in the same night I saw no, on the same weekend I saw Radiohead and I saw Kanye West. And there was no difference in the, the oh, yeah. outcome of what was happening from the audience, you know, very different music styles, but like that was, they're both rock stars for sure. Yeah. I think the Jay, uh, Jay Z Kanye album is that's pure rock. That's yeah. just like, yeah. And now what we've got here in this moment is this awareness of what it's rock is a, 
epiphany. It is a spiritual experience. It's not just, you know, the guitars. It's the way that people feel freed from the trials of their daily existence and have access to a greater possibility for themselves. Now, now Mark, you're slipping into an area that you, you, you don't know what you're unlocking because Kyle Wiltshire is the consummate um, fan of a band that encapsulates everything you just said, which is Kyle. You too. That's Creed. my group. Ah! <laughs> Creed. You too. You too. You too. So have you uh, seen no, you my- too. It's you too. Yes, yeah, he is Creed. a giant you too fan. Like yeah. giant. Yeah. Well, so he's the one who put together the Spotify playlist. I don't see oh, yeah. anything, Jay, from you. No, no. It was all and well. There's one well, band the- he's following. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. The the playlist is a uh, chronological playlist that is of songs that are mentioned in our book. We oh, we wow. we learned very early that if you quote a song in your book, you will get sued. But you can give the title of it, you can talk around it. And so the Spotify was a great way to be like, hey, you know, if you were reading the book, if you hear this and listen to the song as you're as you're reading through it. You can't do a pull from a lyric in your book? Well, I imagine you could if you had a lot of money and you were able to pay for that. that For the rights. Wow. I thought there were, because you can use up to, I think, 10 seconds of recorded material freely. Yeah. It's, it's really weird. We, we never really got to the bottom of it. We were just told by our publisher and by other, you know, uh, friends that are in the, the law field, you know, Hey, do not, do not quote lyrics. From, from an actual song. Yeah. So we mentioned a lot of songs. We, we list song titles, no lyrics in our book. Damn. So what about um, like catchphrases that some of these musicians had? Are they in your book? I guess. Yeah, I mean, yeah sort of. There, there are things that, that there are things that John Lennon says. If you ever listen to any recording of John Lennon, he says, you know what I mean? 1600 times. And so like that kind of phraseology, I don't believe he has copyrighted. I don't think he's right, right, copyright, right. you know what I mean? Or thank you. Thank you very much. Like that's, Alice. you know, that's going to be in there. Yeah. Uh, the way people talk, we tried very hard to capture that essence in there. But, but the difference is, you know, in night, excuse me, in 1999, Elvis is 60. So what is it? What is a six? You know, Kyle and I are not the same people that we were during goat train. And, uh, <laughs> you know, for, for Elvis, he's still Elvis. I mean, he's still his essence, but like he's, he's lived some life. He's experienced some things, some loss, some pain, uh, all the things in his career. And so because of that, he's still himself. He's still going to sound like himself, but he's a, he's a different version. And do you guys deal with the potential relapses of some of these characters while they're spies about them perhaps getting in trouble with cartels and things of that nature as part of the characters getting through this, this ordeal of being, you know, people that are addicted. Kyle, I'll let you answer most of this, but I'll just say this. We wanted to be really careful. Uh, Our book is ridiculous. It's super fun. It's like men in black and Kingsman and just a, a crazy fun ride. Um, so, so it's fun, but we were very careful to be delicate with those kind of things for sure. Yeah. I mean, most, most of the, the characters in our, in our story, the real, the people who were real, uh, that, that we uh, have brought into the story, a lot of them did have substance abuse problems and a lot of them that did cost them their life, many of them. And so we, we realized pretty early on in the writing that we can't tell this story without telling that part of their story. So what do you do? And so we made recovery and accountability and the bonds of a found family, you know, become really central to the story that yeah. they wouldn't have walked away from their lives and careers and their real families, you know, if there was not a nest for them to land in that would, that would love them and nurture them the way they need. Unlike, you know, unlike, you know, maybe the people who had been surrounding them in, in the real life, you know, in the real world had not really nurtured them. Maybe now they're, they're there for one another. And, you know, they're, you know, spoiler alert in the first book, there's no, there's no relapse, but there's, that doesn't mean that there couldn't ever have that, that, that couldn't ever be a part of the story. You and know? we wanted and to have book, a little bit of fun with it. More stories. Yeah. We wanted to have a yeah. little bit of fun with it. So Kyle, um, 
who like in every good secret agent or super team, you know, lineup, everybody has a skill set. And so for us, one of the one of the roles that would be important to this story would be kind of the counselor, the sage, the the person who was uh, more focused on the psychology of someone who's gone through stuff like that. So our specialist in that area was Elvis. Jerry Garcia. That's who we. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> brilliant choice. Yeah, really solid. I don't oh, know if yeah. he was a, a lovable guy in real life, you know, but when I look at him, I just want to hug that guy. He just seems like such a happy, <laughs> you know, like, you know, I just, I just want to hang out with him. I bet he's got great advice, and you know, so that was kind of so intelligent, so deeply intelligent. Yeah. Well, um, we in Marin County where Mark and I live, that was um, Jerry's home. And so oh, there's been wow. a few people I've um, rubbed shoulders with that knew him. And oh, uh, wow. From what I heard, he was very much a lovable guy, obviously had his own shadows he traveled with. But it's and this is what I've heard. And it seems obvious that when he passed, he was the glue that held these personalities together with the dead. And with his passing, that shattered Mm. and they all kind of flew to the Mm. wind. Mm. Then they came back for a bit doing the dead. But. I hear their longevity was in a strong part because of him being alive. And yeah, it's, it's good. There's to know we so much into something real. <laughs> yeah. We, 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 yeah. Okay. There's an opportunity for you guys that maybe when you started writing the book, technology wasn't present enough to do this, but the reality is you're at the point now where you could actually execute a film based on the book, because now ILM has the ability to like go ahead and actually render these guys in and yeah. and they must all get facelifts and stuff. Right. Because, <laughs> well, you know, uh, well, Harrison Ford was 80 when he played the last Indiana Jones. And so we figure a 60 year old, I mean, I, how old is Tom Cruise? Is he in his mid fifties, Kyle? No, he's 60. Tom, Tom is 60. Did he hit 60? Yep. I think so. That guy's a beast. Jesus. He's amazing. He is amazing. And just, again, you know, personality and beliefs aside, everyone I've seen interviewed who's worked with him says that guy's work ethic is, and he's supportive of everyone he's working with. Well, here's the thing that Tom Cruise understands that most actors in Hollywood, I don't think they do. Tom Cruise understands that he works for the four of us. All right. Yeah. Now he, we don't, we don't like, we can't, we can't collectively pay him the what he deserves or what he earns, you know, from from his movies. But he, when he shows up to work, he's thinking of guys like us who are like, does somebody want to see me ride a motorcycle off a mountain? Yes, they do. I'm gonna go do. Yes, it. they do. You know, yeah. Like, yeah. and and that's what drives that dude. You know, like yeah. he doesn't care at this point about statues and all that stuff. That I mean, maybe one day he'll do a role that they'll give him an Oscar. You know, but. uh Man, that dude, that dude shows up because he knows people want to see him do his thing that we have loved watching him do for 40 years now. And 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 he's the best. He's the best at it. I think as far as uh, Tom Cruise goes, we are collectively paying him because that Joker makes a ton of money on every movie. Yeah, that's true. Did you see that interview with Matt Damon talking about Tom Cruise and stunts? Did you no. guys happen to see that? Maybe it's no. it's ringing a little bit of a bell. Like he's just talking I'll, about I'll do it real quick. Yeah, Matt Damon was talking about the difference between him and Tom Cruise, and he was asking Tom about that Mission Impossible on the Dubai building where he's going around on the outside, and Tom said, "Yeah." So I talked to my um, stunt supervisor, and he's like, "No way, we can't do that." So I got a new one, and Matt's point was like, I'd be like, oh, okay, we're not doing it. Okay. And Tom's like, oh, okay, let's get someone who's going to let this happen. Yeah. Yeah, who's going to make it safe, who can create the power of, of that work. Like, that's the other thing that people forget about the technical prowess that goes into these stunts. And that's an amazing thing, as well as being the guy that has to be on camera to do it. But all of the science and all of the geometry and all of the um, physics that go into how someone like does that stuff. That's just amazing to me. Um, I don't you guys we, use science and I, physics in your book. Some physics. <laughs> I mean, 
when it comes to anything technological and science, we had a consultant who's a good buddy of Jay's that we would sit down with and we would run things by him to say, is it possible to do? And then we would say something. And if he was like, well, yeah, all right, we're doing it. We'll write it in the story, you know? So we did not have a great deal of a uh, uh, real life, real world experience when it comes to tech and science and stuff. But uh, we, we have, we had a pretty good consultant. How did you guys resolve creative differences in the process? Like when you came to loggerheads about one way or the other of the plot or how, what happened, how did you resolve conflicts? You Jail, you answer that one. Okay. Yeah, you take it. Um, early on, well, I'll start with this. Number one, colonize. Oh, what's that? Go train. It was oh, okay. yeah. <laughs> no, <laughs> colonized background is in a was in a different form of writing, and so you had to be very uh, particular about what you wrote. And so one of the things that we loved about being able to do this together is is this fiction, like you can make up whatever you want. I mean, within reason, you can make up whatever you want, and. uh so that was kind of where we started. So the, the, there wasn't too many, uh, you know, there wasn't too many log jams or anything like that. It was more of a, if we had an idea, we, we, we tried to fight for it and then we talk about it. And at some point early on, I think we were really, really a lot more, um, stubborn about ideas we may have or about ideas we may want it. And then as it moved along, Kyle and I came to a place where we said, okay, if this is important enough that you want to argue about it, then we're keeping it because it's our story and we can do what we want. And so uh, if I came up with something, I was like, man, I really like this. There'd be t- I remember one thing in particular that, that went around our recovery uh, story, and I really wanted it from the beginning. And I, don't, I think to this day, if Kyle had written the book, he wouldn't have, he wouldn't have put it in there. Uh, but he was like, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let it slide because it's a piece of fiction and we're having fun. And so I think that helped us quite a bit. At no point was there ego involved in anything that we did. So we shared this, the same goal of, we want to write a great story and and whatever we put in this book, we want it to serve the story. And so, you know, we compromised with one another. If there was something that I really wanted, you know, and and Jay could see the, the, the benefit of it or how it served the story, then we left it in. If there's something he wanted and I could see how it benefited the story, then, you know, we'd leave it in. Uh, So it was definitely a, a, a compromise in terms of the, you know, we meet each other in the middle and we talk about it and we think it through and we hash it out. But ultimately, yeah, it was, it really wasn't terribly challenging. You know, we didn't have a whole lot of like, we didn't have any fallout or any, you know, over, over that we, we made it through really unscathed. <laughs> and, and it helped too, for just, um, I don't know. I think when you argue with somebody, if you can come through it, it typically builds a bond. And so I think we both knew each other well enough that if something was important or if we felt a certain way, we, we could be intuitive enough to know, okay, let's, let's talk this out. And we had more than a few of those conversations where sure. we, we kind of talked it out. I, I, Kyle said before several times, I'm the gas, he's the brake. And so there were times where I'd push for something or he'd slow down something. And uh, that would be sometimes the frustration. But really, the beautiful thing in that, if you've got one of those things, you're either going nowhere or you're wrecking. But to have mm-hmm. both uh, is a really good team. You know, it, well, before we go there, I'm wondering, because a couple of times you guys have said something that I've taken to mean there's more than one book. But I only see one book currently out in the public realm. Yes. Is this a it, series that's aspirational? We, we, we desire to write a trilogy of stories, uh, but we only have the first one published. Uh, and when we would like to at some point, some point put out a book two Cla- or book three. Yeah. Classic 80 kid, 80s kids, though. We're not looking for seven books or nine books. We just want the trilogy. And uh, something, you know, Mark, you pointed out earlier, like we wrote it because we didn't know how to make a movie. Like we, we wrote, we, uh, we effectively wrote a movie. And so uh, we've talked even about who would play the different characters in, in the movie. I mean, we've gone down that route. If it wasn't CGI, if it wasn't ILM, it was, uh, it was real life. We've even talked about that. We've had some fun with that. There's a device I want to suggest to you guys that may or may not exist in the book or another prequel, which is that if a guy can fake his death and switch to being a spy, then he can do it again. <laughs> he can do it over and over, huh? Okay. Mm. So are you suggesting that he can go back to be a be a person in real life? Are you saying he can he can that or 
Yes. If there's something about the particular mission that seems counter to his moral code, he could decide to switch roles and fake his death yet again or her death yet again. And perhaps <clears throat> someone became Justin Bieber. <laughs> that was a, that was a fun ending to that. Uh, story. <laughs> Didn't see that coming. Welcome. Slide. <laughs> so, um, Jay, how has your relationship with God changed over the years? And now that you're in this new chapter of your life, I think, that the concept with the Christian faith, a significant portion of it has to do with grace. And I think I did a really good job teaching grace. I think I did a really good job communicating the concept that, that God loves you, period. He doesn't love you for who you are, for what you do for him, for what you've done wrong. He doesn't hate you. Like he's because he's created you, you are his and you are his child and he loves you. And so it's in that grace that I think, true freedom kind of exists where you realize that, you know, I'm not on a scale trying to weigh, determine what's going to happen in my life, like the good and the bad and how all of it comes back to catch you or haunt you or anything like that. But grace is something that, that I taught, I offered, I practiced in other people's lives, but I think I personally, um, you know, in, in psychology circles and counseling circles, the, there's a term called golden boy. They're typically the, the, the boy who in the family did all the right things at the right time. And everybody kind of looked up to them and they offered hope and encouragement and all those kind of things. And, and so for me, um, I never wanted that. But subconsciously, it kind of was placed upon me. And then I, I took it on. I did it. And uh I think that my relationship with God has changed quite a bit because I see God less as a person with a rule book looking down upon me, waiting for me to make the mistake and let everybody down. And I see him more as a loving father who sees me as his and not sees me for my mistakes or my background or my, my pain. So I'm trying to walk in the grace that I taught. Can I, can I push on that a little, Jay? Are you open to that? Uh, yeah. Your podcast, man. I, how do you reconcile that with a Thanos glove? <laughs> uh, you know, I put that Thanos glove on my Christmas list to my mom as a joke. Like she was like, Give, send me things you want. And I sent like three practical things. And then I was just like, and a $75 Thanos glove. Let's just, you know, we'll put it on there. And, uh, you know, from. Uh, oh, is that a lightsaber behind there too? Oh, yeah, that's a lightsaber from. uh <laughs> From a gift standpoint, this has been a whole lot of fun. And I can tell you that the first thing that people do is this every single time. Every single time. Not this. No, you can't snap with a finger either. So very, very rarely in, in my circle of friends do I not get, I don't, we don't get this. We don't get this. We get this. Oh, we get this. That's brilliant. Sometimes like this, sometimes like this. That's brilliant. So would um, you say that there's a part of you that secretly wishes you could snap your fingers and wipe out evil? No, not even a little bit. I, I uh, you know, uh, one of the things we talked about in our book, Kyle, and, and you can talk about this a little bit, is like Marvel superheroes have done a great job with the bad guy in their stories because, you know, if you're if you know about Thanos anyway, like he was awful. Like he's talking about wiping out half of humanity, but his reasoning for it, you could at least understand the madman's logic, the mad titan's logic, if you will. And so we spent a lot of time making sure that was the case ideology wise with our um, antagonist. We won't call him a bad guy, but our antagonist for the story. This is one of the brilliant things about Marvel writing is in that vein, when you see a character who has a clear idea of benefit behind the evil choice he makes. It's a confrontation to us about the way that we are so committed to certain things that we think are the powerful way to go. And it, it puts a check on our ego. And that's one of the things I love about Thanos myself is that I was confronted by my own like thoughts around like, well, if I could only do this, I would save the world, but then it's not my job. 
And I might just make a terrible mistake. Absolutely. Uh, Black Panther, Killmonger in that story is an amazing um, antagonist because in some ways his ideology is more helpful to the world than what uh, Wakanda was doing. Yeah. In my own spiritual seeking, I remember I was doing outdoor adventure for a while. And a key part is to have your sweepers who are in the back and there it's their responsibility to be in the back and make sure everyone in the group makes it to the end. And I thought, well, that's what the devil is. The devil's that piece that's always going to be the worst. And that way, you know which way to go. Hmm. Hmm. Wow, that's an interesting. interesting perspective. I'd never heard that from you before, Greg. But it makes a lot of sense to me. Is that is that a, is that irony? Did I hear that? I'm not sure. I'm just enjoying the beauty of God's creation. Like that, that, that Lucifer would fall from grace would serve him ultimately. Wow. What a revelation. Well, because part of the wrestle for myself is God's the creator and all things that exist are created by God. And therefore, Nothing exists that isn't from God. So what's this devil thing? What's this evil thing? Um, And we had a great conversation with a previous guest just last week where we were talking about free will. And that really free will comes from love. If I'm forcing someone into an action or there's no love involved in that. Yes. So did that bring up any challenges with your characters? Were there points at which these characters having switched into this new role from rock star to spy were confronted with resistance about their own moral code? And perhaps that there's a lot of rock stars. It was all about, you know, pushing back on the man and being antisocial and being anti the system, or in some cases, even agnostic or atheist about the world, you know, Jim yeah. Morrison kind of, do they go through a kind of confrontation of uh, where they question themselves about the, the choice they've made? You know, man, you guys are, are taking our, uh, our, our fun little story to a place that we'd never thought about. We <laughs> We, we didn't get uh, this deep, man. Y'all are, y'all are swimming in the deep water. I would say this. We did the <laughs> USA Today version of that. I don't know if you uh, ever did communications or anything, but I think, I think USA Today was always written for a third grader. And so <laughs> um, we we did that with this story. And so they're, they're, our, our main antagonist, definitely, um, his, ideolo- his ideology shifts a little bit in his, his concept and, and who he was does impact who he is, but it also changes kind of um, his his hope. You know, some of these people were very um, they saw the world darkly. And so with that, you know, it makes sense that they're trying to stop darkness. And uh, some of them, um, how you go about doing that uh, can be very different. And so there's there's without giving too much away. Um, yes, I think very much the question you asked, Mark, is, is that important to our story? And and on a USA Today level? Absolutely. Yeah. So on that vein, in my own creative life, I've noticed that like if I get a role in a play or something, there's a parallel element to my real life. There's something that gets worked out in this creative realm. So have you both had that resonance in your life with this undertaking? I mean, absolutely. Uh, one of the things we hadn't talked about you know, in, in, in this podcast yet is uh, while all the rock stars are, you know, kind of the, the supporting characters, our protagonist, our main character is, is a fictional, someone we just completely made up, a guy named Cole Denton. And Cole Denton is our, was our age. He's our age, you know, uh, for, in 1999. And he is an amalgam of our personalities and of, of our, of our lives. And a lot of this stuff uh, that describes his life and his, you know, his existence were the things that described our lives. A lot of them, especially more so that kind of reflected mine. Cause in 1999, I was a single guy. Jay was married at that point. Uh, but, uh, you know, so his apartment was my bachelor apartment. His car was my first car, you know, some of those things, but, but, you know, you, 
I I felt the I felt the tension in writing a character uh, who is you know the protagonist. You see the world through his eyes. He's he's the one the uninitiated. You know, talking about fraternity. He's the uninitiated. He comes into to this world that he knows nothing about. That he is you know doesn't know exists. You know, and so you always the for me is you you want to make him a hero. You want to make him you know say the right thing and do the right thing and make the right choice at all points and you know that's not always best for the character that's not always best for the story you know and so there's that wrestling match when you think about you know who this person is as a character in a story versus has this reflect on me as a writer has this reflect on jay as a writer and how this you know this person is, has been created so yeah there's definitely seeing ourselves through the eyes of our characters is a real thing on the I, website oh go ahead jay yeah i was just gonna say um Two things. Um, I, I think that uh, sometimes people, um, when they see the world is where they're going a certain way, they think everybody kind of thinks that way. I had I had a conversation recently where I was talking about um, how I was afraid to let people down. And the person said, you know, one person said, uh, um, everybody thinks that way. And I was very quick to say that is Absolutely not true. There are some people who could care less about anybody else. And so for this particular character, his motivation in a way is something that Kyle and I very much care about. And it is our, our personality running through that. Uh, in our history of the, the, the alternate alternative history universe that we have, we created this, um, this DRS organization. It started in 1865. Elvis Presley started the Secret Service. I'm sorry. Abraham Lincoln started the Secret Service in 1865, and that that's real. That happened. And so, but in our story, he faked his death. He became the leader of the DRS, and every so many generations, another president would fake their death to lead this organization. In the 1950s, presidents were no longer the most influential people in the world. It was rock stars. Well, in 1999, rock stars are losing their influence, and it's becoming the Zuckerbergs of the world, the Steve Jobs of the world, the Bill Gates of the world, um, you know, the Elon Musk even starting kind of there. And so the guy that we created is Cole Denton. He's a tech rock star, like he's a tech genius. And he's uh, just at the very early beginning part of that. But what is different about Cole that does line up very much with our kind of uh, philosophy is Cole really wants to make a difference in the world. He wants to make it a better place. He wants to help. And so for us, I think that's where we've always been with our lives. We want to we want to help. And with this book, we feel like uh, in particular, people need to have fun. And so, like, there's too much seriousness in the world. Let's have some fun. And so this book is meant to be that. And, and we think that it, it can help people just to read something, have a laugh, maybe get back into fiction and uh, maybe pick up something that's written in a uh, little bit more <laughs> um, intelligent voice uh, that's above USA Today, maybe a Washington Post level uh, writing or something like that. I was reading on the website. We great. Yeah. I was reading on the website that you guys have been very selective about who you work with as a publisher. And I'd love to know more about what your ideal publisher looks like. What is it you would really love to have in that partnership? Well, our publisher is Morgan James. Uh, and we really, it's, it's a long story, but it really just kind of happened into them. And it was kind of really cool how it all came together. Um, but what they provided us, which we were so grateful for is they published our story. They, you know, their, their, uh, publishing standards mean that, you know, you have to have your book professionally edited and all that before, before they'll, they'll publish it. Yeah. But they didn't come in and say, change this plot point or don't use that character. Or, you know, they didn't have any of those kind of, kind of clamps on us. They let us tell our story as we wanted to tell it. And uh, that was really exciting and freeing because a lot of people, when they write a book, you know, some, some editor comes in or some, someone else down the line at the, at the, at the publisher says, you know, the cover needs to look like this and it needs to be this and it needs to be this and this and this. And, and we had very few of those restrictions. And so that was really freeing and exciting. Very few. The, the only thing that they really cared about was the language. They had a pretty yeah. firm stance on uh, curse words. And oh, wow. um, when it came to, our story, some of these guys, you know, like they curse like sailors, like they were, you know, on the docks. And so um, that wasn't the story that we told, you know, with this version, because uh, for one, when you read fiction and novels, there's not 
in all in the in the you know most of them there's not just a ton of language every other word because it's not it's not fun to read in the sense of like there's not nuance in it there's not understanding you're not knowing whether the person's angry or they're joking and things like that and so um uh, it's that was one guardrail but the fact that we got to have freedom to be able to tell our story was probably the most important thing the second one was just um being able to own the universe not have to like necessarily give it away um, we, we had two goals. We wanted to be published by an, a publisher. We didn't want to self-publish and we wanted to break even and we're 50% of the way. So it's very exciting. We're still working on that second one. We're yeah. still working on it. Right. So what happens at a typical, um, tour stop for the two of you when you're out on this tour with this book, what happens at those events? Uh, mainly it's, you know, we, friends and family is who, who have kind of set these up for us. And so we get to, we get to share about the book. There's different, there's different uh, formats that people have used. Some, some have done sort of like a concert where they'll play music that goes along with the, the people in our story and then interspersed Jay and I will come up and share a little bit, a little detail, a little aspect, you know, kind of a teaser appetizer to, to whet people's interest, uh, whet their appetite, get, get their interest peaked uh, in the story, in the book. Um, and, but it's always, you know, us at a table, signing autographs, taking pictures and, you know, completely outside of our normal existence in real life, you know, standing behind a table writing, you know, yeah. thanks for showing up. Thanks for buying the book. It's, you know, we're, yeah. we kind of feel like we're acting, but we're playing a role and it's a lot of fun. Well, what have you, well, go ahead, Jay. I was just going to say the tour stops that we've made have been supporters, people that know us and care about us and have been really great. So we've done Birmingham, we've done Nashville, we're doing Memphis in a little while, just people that are kind of in our worlds. And, what we've kind of positioned it is about, and somebody that did this early on for us is they said, you know, Jay and Kyle had a dream and so many dreams don't ever get chased yeah. and they actually saw it through. They made something. And so this is our chance to help support them in their dream. Uh, and, and that's really what helped us kind of get the resources to launch the thing. And uh, we've been trying to figure out all the other pieces about it with a book. It's a, it has a, it has what they call a long tail. So sometimes, you know, books take years and years and years before they catch on. And so we've uh, we've tried very much so to be slow and steady in what we're trying to do. And uh, it's because we try to get out there and reach more people. But early on, it was wonderful to kind of have that support, uh, to have that those people saying, hey, we want to buy eight or ten of these books. We're going to give them away as Christmas presents. We're going to get the word out. And uh, the podcast uh, is kind of the next phase in our journey because you know, we get a chance to talk to you guys and how would we have crossed paths before? And to be able to talk about what we're doing and be able to have this outlet is phenomenal. And if one or two people buy a book, awesome. So how can people find the book and how could people get a hold of you if they want to book a tour stop? Yeah. Deadrockstarsbook.com is our website. You can buy first edition autographed books from us there. Um, and you can also, there's a form if you would like to you know, have a tour, a tour stop for us to come in and, and share about the book. Um, we have a conversation about that, but you can also find the book anywhere books are sold, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Target, Walmart, wherever, wherever you find, find books, you can, you can find them there online. It seems with both of you gentlemen, uh, you talked earlier about grace. And even though this is a very fun romp for someone, there's this element of, Healing the world, saving the world, doing good. Um, <laughs> I lost my question, but here's, but, uh, um, <laughs> here for, um, oh, I just got a note from Mark. We have a hard stop in eight minutes. All right. Here's what I want. The DEI work for lack, you know, just to keep things quick is very important to Mark and I. You gentlemen are in the South. Um, our country as a whole has a history that really isn't being acknowledged with slavery, et cetera. How, how does this rest in your life on a regular daily basis? I'll, I'll start Kyle, if that's okay with you. Yeah, sure. Um, I was raised very differently than, a lot of people in the South. Um, my parents were very open to uh, everyone, and but my grandparents weren't. 
And so we'd be at the table and I'd hear the words and I'd hear the things. And what has been a real uh, challenge for me and a, a gift for me in raising two daughters that are now, I have twins and they're 18, is watching their friends and who they are and um, people of color of all different diversity backgrounds are their best friends and their closest friends. And that's just a beautiful picture for me of, of progress. And it's still, still the history is not told, you know, and, and uh, Hollywood making movies, you know, if you've seen the Watchmen film, uh, Watchmen TV series on HBO, like they do an amazing job of shedding light on something that I never even heard of. And I had to go back and look and, and learn about it. And so uh, for them to be able to do that and do that the way they did it, you know, I think one of those episodes in the Watchmen's was uh, one of the best, one of the best singular episodes of that year of television. Like it was unbelievable how it kind of all came together and what they did with that story. Um, but m- my parents taught me differently, you know, in the uh, late seventies and the early eighties, than then I think some of the other parents around me kind of uh, were teaching their kids and in the school that we went to uh, was not very diverse and the university we went to wasn't very diverse, but we tended to find ourselves in friendships with uh, the people of color that were there. And uh, I spent a lot of time, um, you know, kind of challenging that norm in ministry. I did the same thing. I worked at a church in Birmingham, uh, George Wallace's, uh, uh, family uh, was at that church. And I, I spent a lot of time talking about uh, racial equality and, di- and things there. And so me, I'm, I'm a personal guy and I don't get super excited or interested in the whole um, uh, movement kind of thing. You know, I've, I've done a black lives matter mar- March and things like that, but I just, it was cause I wanted to be there. It wasn't cause I didn't post it on social media. I didn't talk about it with anybody else. Like I wanted to be there for that. And, and, uh, uh, for me, it's personal. And so to be able to see what my parents taught be instilled in my life. And then, you know, for my daughters to be where they are, um, it gives me a little bit of hope and knowing that it, it really is a, it's a, it's a personal, it's a one-on-one level where you have to change, um, the past. You have to correct it, learn from it, see it, change it and be okay with it. Yeah. Set a new standard. Yeah. All right, gentlemen. Unfortunately, we do have a hard stop at 10. And um, for those of you listening, maybe it's 11, 12, whatever in your life. Um, we have one more question. We have it's a, really important on this episode that we ask this question. Yeah, yeah. So, so this, is, this question is really deeply important to Mark and I, and it's how we end all our episodes. And uh, so Eminem or Foo Fighters? <laughs> oh, uh, I'll have to say Foo Fighters. I'd have to because I'm more of a rock and roll guy. You know, rock and roll is gonna be more my more my tune. So I, I say I say Foo Fighters. I love the Foo Fighters. I've I have a high appreciation for them. Love Dave Grohl. I think he's fantastic. But I'd pick Eminem all the way. <laughs> That's right. Well, one of the graces of having you both is we got both answers. We love them both. So. Absolutely. That's right. That's our, We're that's our story. We're, <laughs> We're hoping for a collab at some point. That's our big, our big. Oh, wow. Uh, Dave or anybody knows Dave or Mr. Mathers, if you're out there, our big fantasy is that one day we'll see a Foo Fighters and Ma- Marshall Mathers combina- combination. It would be awesome. You know, instead of seeing Eminem and see Rihanna, seeing Eminem and Dave Grohl singing would be pretty stinking cool. Yeah. Well, did cool. you just see, happen to see that video of Eminem and Ed Sheeran together? No. It's, if you look on YouTube, Eminem, Ed Sheeran was doing a, a show in Detroit, and Eminem came out, and it's pretty fabulous. It's pretty I heard a rumor that awesome. Eminem is um, are part of the RDS. <clears throat> not yet he's alive and well we'll see <laughs> well, one to, day we need to go back when did when did he when did his career start it hadn't it wasn't in 2000 was it, it was later no it was 90s late 90s, late yeah, 90s yeah. yeah i think it was the Eminem was in the late 90s no it was mid 90s i think mid 90s yeah okay yeah um, all right one quick question i have time for this keeps coming up and i'd be very two minutes Bon Scott keeps coming to mind. Is he in your book? He is You'll not. have to buy it to He's find not. out. 
Oh, well, you should. You said what I should have said. I'm sorry. Yes. You never know. He might be. He might be. Is he in the second book? (laughs) Hey, now that is where you truly never know who might show up in book two. All right. Gentlemen, Jay, Kyle, thank you very, very much for sharing your time with us. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you for having us. Wish you all the best with this journey you're on. Thank you, Mark. Can't wait to read the book. Recording stopped.